there would not be a priority of God, but of the state. And the priority of the state is characteristic, in his view, of a pre-liberal position regarding religious freedom, in which the state not only acknowledges that religious truth exists, but also determines what that religious truth holds. Welcome to the Acton Vault Podcast, a product of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Gabriel Jaja, producer. Hans Marchien to Naples of Leiden University delivered an address entitled Constitutionalism, Democracy, and Religious Freedom at the Acton Institute's Reclaiming the West Public Spirit and Public Virtue Conference in Washington, D.C. on December 6, 2017. You can find additional resources in the show notes of this episode, as well as previous episodes on our website at acton.org slash podcast. If you like this program, you can help us reach even more listeners by sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We welcome your comments as well. Acton Vault is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Our next speaker and uh, final one in this session before we go to our discussion is Professor Hans Martin Ten Napel. He's one of Western Europe's leading authorities on religious liberty. He's Associate Professor of Constitutional Administrative Law at Leiden University's Faculty of Law. He spent a term as a postdoctoral fellow at the Minde de Gunsberg Center for European Studies at Harvard University. He is the author of several books, including The Powers That Be, Rethinking the Separation of Powers, published by Cambridge University Press in 2016, and Constitutionalism, Democracy, and Religious Freedom to Be Fully Human, a work that was the culmination of his time as a research fellow at the Center for Theological Inquiry in Princeton, um, New Jersey. Professor. Thank you for your kind introduction, Mr. Chairman, and to the Acton Institute for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Um, This is my fifth visit to the United States in six months' time. Uh, So I'm gradually getting used to the commute (laughs) and even starting to enjoy it. So the question asked us was to examine how the Western world might see a revival of public spirit through public virtue. And uh, I have to note at the outset that, as you can gather from uh, the title of um, my book, uh, my perspective is that of a constitutional lawyer and to a lesser extent that of a political scientist. So from sociology, we have moved on to philosophy and now to law and political science. And the contribution that constitutional law can make to the topic of a revival of public spirit through public virtue is limited but essential. The contribution is limited because, as Hertog Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center Yuval Levine put it in a 2014 article, A population of citizens generally capable of using their freedom well 
not the American Constitution or the market system, is the greatest modern achievement of our civilization. And it is that achievement, so a population of citizens generally capable of using their freedom well, it is that achievement, which is the prerequisite for liberalism, whether progressive or conservative, not only at its origin, but in every generation." Unquote. The contribution that constitutional law can make to the topic of a revival of public spirit through public virtue is essential, because according to the same Yuval Levine, the liberty that liberalism offers exists in large part to foster precisely the moral formation we need and the institutions that engage in it. And so according to Levine, religious freedom, freedom of association, freedom of the press, these are liberties designed to protect our tradition of moral formation, and they do just that, unquote. And as this article was published in, in October 2014, and that was exactly the time that I started working on my latest book, um, it, it influenced my way of thinking. And so the leading idea behind uh, my book, uh, Constitutionalism, Democracy and Religious Freedom to be Fully Human, is that the way, the way a political order views the right to freedom of religion or belief also influences the constitutionalism and democratic character of that polity. And the way a polit political order views the right to freedom of religion or belief is in turn influenced by the anthropology from which the political order more or less explicitly departs. And in what follows, I will start by saying a few words about what is also known as conservative constitutionalism, but what I will call liberal constitutionalism, as I believe there is some reason to reclaim the term liberal. I will then proceed by making a couple of remarks on the currently dominant modern constitutionalism. And I will end with a conclusion, uh, and that conclusion will be that as far of the, as the topic of this conference is concerned, liberal constitutionalism, properly understood, is to be preferred over modern constitutionalism, let alone postmodern constitutionalism. Religious freedom, freedom of assembly, freedom of association, all appear to have been negatively affected by the rise of modern constitutionalism in the post-World War II era, as Johnny Nazu, for example, has set out in his book on confident pluralism. And therefore, liberal constitutionalism, I believe, will somehow need to be restored first before our civil societies can begin to reproduce public spirit and public virtue again. So beginning with liberal constitutionalism, when I submitted the book proposal for 
this book, the current subtitle, To Be Fully Human, was actually the main title. The publisher, however, was concerned that it would be insufficiently clear from that main title what the book is about. And that is only fair. That is what publishers have to think about. Still, the original main title rightly expressed that human anthropology very much forms the starting point of this book. And thus in the opening pages of the book, I quote South African professor emeritus in Christian ethics, Koos Forster, um, who writes that to be fully human means to cradle the spirituality of one's religion. I like the word cradle here. Um, to be fully human means to cradle the spirituality of one's religion and to build one's life on the foundation that the religion offers. And um, that, according to Forster, has to be possible both in the public and private spheres. Now, taking this view of what it means to be genuinely human as a starting point for analysis leads to a distinctive stance regarding religious freedom which can be called the liberal position regarding this right. As leading scholar of constitutional interpretation in the US, Michael Stokes Paulson explains, the liberal view regarding religious freedom holds that worship of God and obedience to God's commands is a natural right. One of those fundamental rights of man that precedes the social compact and is never superseded by it. And that is because God exists and has a prior and always superior claim on human loyalty. The state acts legitimately only when it honors those prior claims of God. Unquote. The state, however, is not supposed to determine what religious truth is. Given the diversity of viewpoints regarding religious truth in society, the state will have to be tolerant of all, or at least most, of these views. If not according to Paulson, there would not be a priority of God, but of the state. And the priority of the state is characteristic, in his view, of a pre-liberal position regarding religious freedom, in which the state not only acknowledges that religious truth exists, but also determines what that religious truth holds. Now, according to Paulson's theory of religious liberty, religious freedom can only exist if the state acknowledges the fact that there is such a thing as religious truth and is at the same time tolerant of the different religious views in society. This is what he calls and what I call the liberal position, and it is also the stance regarding religious freedom that the founding fathers took.
J. Daryl Charles' new book on natural law and religious freedom makes the same point regarding the right to freedom of religion or belief as a natural right. I'm currently reading that book, and the reason I uh, refer to it here is that last summer I had the pleasure of hearing Dr. Charles lecture on this topic at Acton University, and uh, he also recently gave a talk um, about natural law for the Acton Institute, which is available online. A Judeo-Christian anthropology in combination with the view of religious freedom as a natural right leads, I believe, to a distinctive form of constitutionalism. What is distinctive about liberal constitutionalism, properly understood, is that it does not just insist on a separation of powers between the three traditional branches of government, the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary, but also between these political branches and the civil society. As Richard Garnett of Notre Dame Law School has argued, our liberal tradition of constitutionalism was made possible and might still depend today on the independence of the church from secular control. And in this last quote, the word church does not just stand for churches, mosques, synagogues, and other houses of worship, but for faith-based organizations in general. And in this sense of the word, the principle of the freedom of the church, which historically has developed before the individual dimension of the freedom of religion or belief, belongs to the foundations of any liberal political order. A Judeo-Christian anthropology in combination with the view of religious freedom as a natural light, right also leads to a distinctive form of democracy. The type of democracy that a liberal political order, properly understood, favors is one which, according to Christian philosopher Nicholas Wolterstorff in his book Understanding Liberal Democracy, is one which guarantees equal political voice within constitutional limits to all. And as Wolterstorff points out, it is not public reason and the Rawlsian duty of civility that lie at the heart of liberal democracy, but that same equal right to full political voice. Such an idea of what one could call a pluriform democracy not just differs from Rawls's public reason, liberalism, but also from populism, which is, after all, anti-pluralist. During a lecture by Rowan Williams that I attended last week in The Hague, the former Archbishop of Canterbury noted how in Western culture mass democracy came about as a revolution against oligarchy, monarchy, and tyranny. But Williams continued by warning that today democracy runs the risk of becoming dominated by the will of the majority, the tyranny of the majority. And it's interesting perhaps to note here 
that during his lecture, Rowan Williams referred to Lord Acton's criteria for democracy because um, Lord Acton was also interested in what uh, John Wilsey, um, in the question that John Wilsey raised at the very end of his uh, talk, how do we seek to avoid depotism in a democracy? And um, according to Rowan Williams, Lord Acton is a politician and scholar whose time has come. I will now proceed by making a couple of remarks on the currently dominant modern constitutionalism, which can be found in virtually all of the handbooks of constitutional law and comparative constitutional law. It is here in those handbooks usually treated under the label of liberal constitutionalism. And it is liberal indeed, be it progressive liberal rather than conservative or classical liberal. And so how came this difference um, to be? Just very briefly, um, I can refer to a book by political theorist Jacob Levy, um, a book called Rationalism, Pluralism and Freedom. And in that book, um, Levy argues that within liberalism, from the very beginning, uh, there has been a, a difference of opinion concerning the role of civil society. And uh, that difference is that within uh, what, you, what he calls pluralist um, liberalism, um, civil society um, is seen as, um, or intermediate groups rather, are seen as sites where free people live their diverse lives. Whereas in what he calls rationalist liberalism, civil society intermediate groups are seen as sites of, potentially at least, of sites of local tyranny that the liberal state must be strong enough to keep in check. Now, modern constitutionalism, oh, sorry, using this, this distinction by Levy, what I, call, what I call liberal constitutionalism is then, of course, the fruit of pluralist liberalism, whereas modern constitutionalism is characteristic of rationalist liberalism. If you can follow me, <laughs> it's a bit confusing, all these terms, but I will come back to these at the end. Modern constitutionalism does not, at least not explicitly, depart from a particular anthropology but instead takes a substantive conception of liberal democracy as its starting point. After having formulated the defining characteristics of liberal democracy, such as uh, equality or fairness, it then determines from case to case how much room there is left for the exercise of liberties, such as the right to freedom of religion or belief. Modern constitutionalism regards this right and the accompanying rights of assembly and association, therefore, as positive rather than natural rights. That is, rights granted by the state. And as a result, the state can limit these rights 
For example, in the light of specific policy objectives it wishes to achieve. And thus one can say that modern constitutionalism regards the state as fully sovereign, while insisting that the will of the majority of the people and their representatives is the only source of legitimacy. This conception of religious liberty um, is called by, by uh, Michael Stokes Paulson the modern stance regarding re religious freedom. So that's easy to remember. Modern constitutionalism um, adheres to a modern conception of religious freedom. On this modern view, Paulson explains, we protect religious liberty no longer because religious truth exists and religious convictions of the people are therefore holy and ought to be protected as a kind of natural right. Rather, in this modern conception of religious freedom, which is currently the dominant one, we continue to protect religious freedom because apparently there are still some people around that adhere to religious convictions and it is simply the nice thing to do to be tolerant of these rather old-fashioned uh, people. Um, but, of course, there are limits to this, this tolerance. Um, it has to remain practicable, practicable and sensible, as Paulson uh, calls it. And an example of that limit that uh, religious conviction have to remain practical and sensible, an illustration of that um, is um, the Little Sisters of the Poor and their struggle against the healthcare mandate, if you remember that. And I always thought that this case was um, a clear illustration of where the modern conception of religious liberty um, can go wrong. Until two weeks ago, when I pre had the honor of presenting my book in Boston, and one of the respondents there said that actually it was unethical what the Little Sisters of the Poor did, that they regarded the healthcare mandate as a burden on their religious exercise. And that demonstrates how dominant the modern conception of um, religious liberty has become, I believe. And of course, um, today, um, the same debate surrounds the case of the Colorado baker uh, uh, and the wedding cakes where the US Supreme Court held the hearings yesterday about that case. But it can get worse because after the modern stance regarding religious freedom comes potentially the postmodern stance regarding religious freedom. And that stance holds that um, there, obviously, there is no longer or no religious truth, 
but it ceases to be tolerant of religious convictions that are still left in society and instead it introduces a kind of religious truth of its own being secularism and um then according to Paulson and he claims that you can see this at least in some Euro European countries happening already uh, then the postmodern regime comes to resemble the pre-liberal um, conception regarding religious freedom um, the difference being that the pre-liberal conception adhered to the idea that there was religious truth but was not tolerant of that whereas the postmodern stance regarding religious freedom um, um, adheres to the idea that there is um, a secular uh, truth that has to in be enforced by the state. In conclusion, the difference between the two conceptions of constitutionalism that I have tried to describe very briefly is, I believe, a fundamental one. In that liberal constitutionalism, properly understood, starts with, with us, with citizens, with human beings, and aims at developing a political order, a constitutional order, that serves the aim of becoming fully human. Whereas modern constitutionalism runs the risk, at least, I would say, of regarding the political and constitutional order, liberal democracy, the aim, and in that case, we, citizens, run the risk of becoming the means of achieving the substantive goals of liberal democracy as formulated by some kind of academic political elite. And to close off, I think this difference between liberal and modern constitutionalism is also particularly relevant from the point of view of the topic of this conference because if one asks the question where a revival of public spirit through public virtue has to come from, it is, I believe, from civil society. And to the extent that liberal constitutionalism, properly understood, is more open towards the role of civil society, liberal Constitutionalism is to be preferred over modern constitutionalism. Thank you. As always, thank you for listening. Our team loves putting this podcast together for you. It's encouraging to hear from our listeners. Feedback is incredibly important to us because it lets us know what you like to hear more of. If you're familiar with our past content or have attended an Acton event and would like to see it in a future episode, you can email us at producer at Until next week, for Acton Vault, I'm Gabriel Jaja. <laughs>